0: And here's the poem I read last week from Kabir's, the Kabir book, number 38. Friend, please tell me what I can do about this world I hold on to and keep spinning out. I gave up sewn clothes and wore a robe. But I noticed one day the cloth was well woven. So I bought some burlap but I still throw it elegantly over my left shoulder. I pull back my sexual longings and now I discover that I'm angry a lot. I gave up rage and now I notice that I am greedy all day. I worked hard at dissolving the greed and now I am proud of myself. When the mind wants to break its link with the world It still holds onto one thing.
1: Kabir says, listen, my friend, there are very few that find the path. Right, so as we come
0: out of the meditation, I'm going to just move right into the talk, and then we'll take a break in about 20 minutes. So you can stretch your legs or use the restroom. I'd like to read that poem in relationship to tonight's topic, which we're exploring one of the three, what's called the three poisons, or the three kalashas or three unwholesome roots of greed, hatred, and delusion. So when we hear those words, they're really heavy, heavy words and it's sometimes i think it's important to step back and translate it so that we don't have the wrong attitude with how we work with those those words because these three elements these are what's called the kalashas and these are what kind of drives our suffering and it's often driven by by our unconscious by our, our ignorance by our delusion and really by not understanding those three characteristics that we just spent 3 months exploring of of dukkha, of impermanence, or dukkha, or suffering, impermanence, or Nietzsche, and anatta, or non-self. When we don't fully understand those, we tend to act from a way that creates these these three roots. It's kind of the expression of those, if that makes sense. So this poem by Kabir, I think, points to an important aspect as we begin to explore this, because when we think of greed, for most of us, we don't want to think of ourselves as a greedy person, right? We think, okay, greed's bad, so I have to get rid of greed and try to, you know, repress it or deny it or push it away, which is really just using aversion or even hatred to try to get rid of that other root. And this poem, as Kabir points to so, so beautifully, is that we may pick something in ourselves we want to change and we want to Get rid of it, but we instead we were repressing it, so something else pops up instead. We get rid of our sewn clothes, and then we notice that we're proud, and then we just keep throwing one after another, and that very few find the path. Is his final phrase, and that points to this this way we have to kind of step back from this whole process of greed and hatred and delusion to actually let something else come forth, something else that's Coming from a place of wisdom, of compassion, but also kind of transcending this whole process of greed and hatred. It's tricky. It's kind of, it's, it's that subtle point. And yet at the same time, it's something we practice right from the beginning when we first start to learn to do mindfulness meditation. When we say, just notice your breath, notice your, your experience of this moment without any, adding any, anything to it. That's actually practicing this this right relationship to experience. If instead we said, "Okay, every time you get lost in in thought, make sure you judge yourself a bunch before you come back to the breath," right? Don't let your breath, don't leave your breath, keep pulling yourself back. Those kind of words lead, lead a sense of tension, a sense of self-judgment and harshness to how we practice. And so remember that the instructions, it's almost like this, this hologram that the way we practice is kind of built into all the different ways we approach the Dharma. That if we want to practice meeting the moment just how it is, to actually release our, our judgment, release our comparison, just to notice the moment clearly without distortion and allow that very seeing to transform us, that applies to something like greed also. Actually open to greed in that way. And so in the instructions, I was trying to, to point to that you know, without directly seeing the word greed, but just to notice how often we're moving towards something. And this is a little bit more subtle, so perhaps your mind was a little sleepy or tired and wasn't so accessible, but perhaps it was. And other times you can start to notice when you feel that place of stability, it's almost like you have this, when you're sitting in the mo- middle of the moment, there's really nothing that needs to be changed. There's a sense of contentment, being at rest, being at peace in how this moment is. And yet the mind's going to find something that it wants. It could be wanting the bell to ring. It could be wanting that, oh, I want to go back to that Netflix show I'm binge watching. It could be that movement into something. Sometimes that movement's really toward pleasurable things, pleasurable experiences, things we crave, we want. Sometimes it's it's actually a movement away from something that's painful. remember once I was practicing, I started to notice this pattern that I would be sitting and practicing and then find myself waking up in the middle of being lost in thought. And I wondered, okay, what was going on? And often when I call myself back to the body, I found that there was a level of discomfort that was growing, perhaps from sitting in the, in the posture too long. And my mind was going towards something pleasant. We can think of this as part of this broad expression of, of greed, of that movement toward. Now when we explore this this word greed, I think it's it's very helpful to be clear about what attitude we're bringing to it. You know, because if we see greed and we approach it from a place of hatred, we're just using another one of these unwholesome roots to try to fix another one. and It doesn't really work. You we know, just kind of switched switch the direction as as Kabir points toward in his poem. And yet there's this interesting paradox of how can we observe something, but yet not move from that place, not to act from that place. It's tricky because we so often use our observation or our knowing of something to be like a springboard into how we're going to act in relationship to it. Right? So how often do we see something like, let's say there's a cookie that's sitting there, we want this cookie. We don't usually see the cookie and just kind of notice the sense of wanting. You know, pretty much soon we're reaching for the cookie, and before we know it, we're reaching for another one because we just ate that old cookie. Right? There's this impulse to move toward. So as we practice... A very interesting way to practice, it's difficult at times, at least when you first start, but it's very fruitful to practice in this way, is to see that impulse to move toward, to want something. And then practice just kind of stepping back and pausing and noticing what it feels like to want. It's like taking the object of our, our craving or our greed or our lust or our wanting, whatever it might be, and almost like you kind of suspend it, or you kind of put it out of reach purposefully, and you just notice what it feels like to want, what it feels like to really want something. Right? So this is going into investigation as a way of exploring greed. So investigation is not about judging it, not about trying to change it, but just about fully understanding it. Right? As you do this, it's it's very interesting, because you feel almost more intensely the energy behind the greed, behind the wanting. Right? Usually that energy is designed to actually reach out and grab what we want, take what we, we need or, or desire in that moment. So in that way it becomes a little bit more intense. But by doing that, we can actually start to realize, well, I'm really driven by this this habit of always wanting, really driven by this habit of trying to fulfill this 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 need in myself. I used to do, um, when I was younger, much younger, I used to do some archery. And so if you've ever done archery, you you pull back the bow, and you aim at your target, and you release the arrow. So it's almost like we pull back, we're aiming at the target, we realize we're in the middle of a moment of greed, and we take the arrow out, but we still feel that pull. And we even kind of close our eyes to what we might be aiming at, so we just feel the energy that goes into holding that bow string back. Because that's, that's that charge of wanting to act, that urge to fulfill that, to follow that. Now, in that moment of pausing around it, to be still with it, notice what, what that feels like. You know, there's of course the energy of it. There's the why can't I just have that cookie? Why do I have to do this? This kind of it's not really denial. It's more like pausing, right? It's, because denial is just using it's just kind of it's more repression. If instead of I'm just actually exploring that, you often start to notice, okay, what's this, this represent for me? Because often the things we want represent something other than what they, they really are, if that makes sense. This is why, have you ever had that stir in your head that if I get that one thing, I'm gonna finally be happy. And when I get that one experience, that one role, one job, one relationship, one fill in the blank, then finally everything will be happy. Has that ever panned out for anybody? Mm-hmm. If you if you have, let me know.
2: We're
0: sitting here. <laughs> yeah, we're sitting here. Yeah, and that's that's a good point, Greg, because it is. It's almost like we we start to exhaust that that strategy. We start to become disillusioned with it. Yeah, because if, if we weren't, we will probably be doing other things with our evenings, like how to you know, get rich in ten easy steps or something like that. <laughs> Not that there's nothing wrong with being abundant and being prosperous, but just how that, that fulfills that, that sense of uh, that who we are, what we are, needs to be fulfilled by that. There's an image in, in classic Buddhism called the Hungry Ghost, the hungry ghost, this is, this is actually part of a cosmology of the different realms. There's the human realm, and there's the animal realm, and there's the hell realm, and heavenly realms. There's also the realm of the hungry ghosts. And these are creatures who have these huge bellies, these huge appetites, but yet have very small mouths and very small throats. So they can never fulfill that that insatiable hunger, no matter how hard they try. And that kind of feels like how we are sometimes. When we're really in greed, is that like we keep wanting more and more, and yet it doesn't fulfill that. Whereas Janine Roth wrote, uh, one of her books was "Feeding the Hungry Heart," right? feeding that that emotional lack, that emotional pain, trying to fulfill that. But it's not the right match, right? So it continues to continue to, to perpetuate itself. So of course there's a the whole psychological thing we can explore around it. And from a dharmic standpoint, this is the way that we keep re-upping, re-infirming, recreating that sense of me. Right? That sense of who I am or what I am, or that sense of, of separate self. Because when you're in lack, when you're wanting something. When you need something, you really are established. You really know who is wanting something. That hunger is really activated. So when you do that, that trick of kind of suspending the object of what you're wanting and go into the actual the kind of almost generic experience of wanting, you're interrupting that pathway. Right? And that that's kind of pushes up against this much deeper hunger to be, to form it to someone to be established, to be separate. Even though that very separation is the root of what causes this unnecessary or optional suffering that the Buddha discovered a way through. So this process that I'm, I'm kind of suggesting around an inquiry with looking at greed is, is one one gateway into it. Because right? we... On the one hand, usually with, with greed or wanting, we tend to just follow it. We just tend to reinforce it. We just do it. Or we go into the pathway of repressing it, denying it, you know, white-knuckling it, having the willpower. Right? Both of those, they don't work forever. They ha- There's a certain point when our will falls away. There's a certain point when we just exhaust the, the possibilities of, of wanting. We realize that this, this is not going to fulfill... So when we start to release the object of of wanting and go into the actual experience of it, noticing what that feels like body-wise. What's the body experience in this moment of wanting? Often when I do this, I feel there's that inner lack, that sense of inadequacy, insufficiency, that I hope this experience will alleviate. Or maybe there's a sense of of pain, of tenderness that I'm trying to, to help with to help to soothe in some way. I remember sitting, I shared this last week, sitting once in a in a Dharma hall in a evening like this as a practitioner, sitting and listening and, and, and practicing. And there was a person sitting nearby me that I found a little attractive. And it's interesting to notice right there in that sense of attraction, one choice was to kind of like sneak looks at them or try to engage in them. Another way, since we're practicing noble silence in that time, was just to to do what I'm saying: is feel that sense of wanting without actually following through on it. Okay, so what does it feel like to want? Right, so I almost like ignored the person, but still felt that energy come up. Okay, just open to that experience. What is that like to want? And as I did that, I could feel the deeper um, lack underneath that. That sense of of insufficiency, that sense of the, the very pain of wanting. And I just follow that down to deeper and deeper levels. What I mean by following, it's more like it's simply listening, opening to listen to what's here, opening to experience what's here, letting it present itself. And this is the heart of mindfulness, is meeting the moment just how it is, letting it be seen, understood, perceived in a way that starts to transform our understanding you are following that down until the point I realized, oh, there's this fundamental sense of lack, of inadequacy. It looked really deep, something core to me. And I realized that this person, the fantasy of this person, or even the reality of the person, wouldn't touch that. I could see that, that fallacy of that, that seeking. So that moment of investigation led to an insight of, of the nature of, of wanting in, in that experience. So get to know, you know, this month the invitation for all of us is to start to notice that sense of movement toward and movement of wanting. Okay, it's not about repressing, it's not about denying, but simply observing, sensing, getting to know what is it like that wanting. What is it being driven by? Is it being driven by the lack? Is it being driven by the desire for something pleasurable? Is it being driven by perhaps the place of, of trying to care for ourselves and we're maybe not matching it up perfectly. Maybe we're burned out and tired and overwhelmed and we're looking for something to help soothe us. You know, maybe acknowledging that inner that sense of lack and pain. Maybe what's more a direct way to do that? and Maybe there's a, a way that actually is truly nourishing in that moment. And the final thing I mentioned last week, is a way to play with this is to start to notice, as you notice the patterns of greed or of wanting, again, not judging it, but just notice it. You can still you know indulge in that or follow that, but just pause for a little bit to notice it before you follow it so it's not a reaction. The other way to play with it is to notice your habits. What's your kind of way that you normally are around something? And then play with doing the opposite of that. Do a different way of being in that. And notice what that elicits, what comes up in relationship to it. Now, if you're really paying attention, you'll often notice that your habits have a way of keeping you contained. You know who you are when you're in the midst of that habit. But yeah, I'm the person who always does this. Right, this is the, and the pattern of greed is a great way of showing that, of expressing that. Has that been down this whole night time? Or did you just fall down? <laughs> All right, maybe I'm much louder now. <laughs> so the habit has a way of kind of establishing what and who we are. We go opposite of the habit. We're not so established. We're not quite sure what and who we are. That in that moment is actually a point of Dharma investigation. right? Because it's we come into practice with this assumption of of who we are and what we are. And likewise, who and what everyone else is. Of course, there's a functionality to that. It's helpful to know what kind of job I do and what kind of roles we inhabit. But when we take that as being the the bottom line without any other perspective, that ties us into our suffering. So playing with those habits of mind and seeing what happens when you're not following those, we actually do opposite of that. If you feel like you're not quite sure who you are, what you are, that's actually a good sign. Hang out there. Let yourself be undefined in that moment. Let yourself be unfamiliar. And instead of rushing to establish a new sense of you, relaxing back into that mystery of, of the stillness. As Kabir says, You know, friend, please tell me what I can do about this world. I hold on to and keep spinning out. I gave up sewn clothes and wore a robe. I noticed one day the cloth was well woven, so I bought some burlap, but I still throw it elo- elegantly over my left shoulder. I pull back my sexual longings, and now I discover that I'm angry a lot. I gave up rage, and now I notice that I am greedy all day. I worked hard at dissolving the greed. And now I am proud of myself. When the mind wants to break its link with the world, it still holds to one thing. Kabir says, listen, my friend, there are very few that find the path. So finding the path, that's what we're we're exploring. What is that path that's not about breaking the link with the world, but a very way of just relaxing into the connection with the world. Releasing
1: that sense of separation. Alright, let's just sit quietly for a moment or two, let those words settle.
0: Thank you for your kind attention. All right, so in a moment, we'll take about a five-minute break, just calling your attention to, to Donna. So Donna is the way that the organization and teachers like myself receive your support. You know, And we have an open-ended thing so people can give based on their means, but there's baskets over here, there's online ways of offering, and... I think Bob is the tech support person. If you could throw the online donate page for those online. All right, we'll come back in five minutes and we'll do some small group
1: discussions, both online and in person, talking about your experience of working with greed. All right, making your way back
0: to your seat. Okay, so in a couple moments, we'll break up into some small groups. And Bob, just to let you know, we'll be doing groups of, let's do about groups of four or so. How are the numbers shake out? Online, four to five. All right, so the homework from last week was really exploring this, this defilement of greed and start to notice the attitude that comes to mind as you explore that. So talking about your own habits you've noticed around greed, what that experience is like, you know, what's your, and more importantly, how do you relate to that? Do you relate to it from, you know, the natural human, you know, not wanting to have it there or are you meeting it from wisdom and compassion? Maybe talk about one of your habits around greed that you're able to explore and open to. Can you meet it with mindfulness and investigation? And if you had any chance to practice doing what's opposite of the habits, response, and impulse and see, and see what came up around that. Right? So basically talking about patterns of greed and how you, you hold it. And in all these things, it's helpful as these discussions to hold it as a place of, of exploration of, of kind of safety that we're not judging each other. We're actually also not giving each other suggestions. but are just listening deeply to each other's experience, right? So instead of saying, oh, I know what you should do about that, you know, just listen, hold that impulse, listen to them, and practice sharing from your own experience. And what's nice about this is it we can often practice a long time, but when we actually try to articulate it and voice it and be heard by another person, often there's more clarity that comes from it. Sometimes clarity comes as a very act of speaking around it. All right, so is that enough guidance around the groups? Any questions about it? Talking about patterns? Yes. i want going to give you 20 minutes. Yep, so you can kind of monitor
1: your time. We'll do about groups of four to five, I think is a good number. All right, any other questions? Online, you're all good, all clear. All right, so let's go in and find
0: your groups. So find three to four other people, and I'll ring the
1: bell, give you a little warning when to come back. All right, so go ahead. All right. So we have a chance now for any questions or comments you might, or sharing you might have.
0: So you're welcome to raise your hand if you're in the room and have you come up here to the mic so they can hear you online. Online, you can also just raise your virtual hand or
1: physical hand if you're patient. And <laughs> yes, do you, do you mind coming up so they can hear you? Thank you. Oh, sorry.
3: I really like the poem that you read um, earlier, so I wanted to, but I don't know how to think about the ending, and maybe it's just to think about it very literally or not. Um, I guess it's just a curiosity. Sure. Um, You know, if you find the path or something,
1: um, is it just about how it's I don't
0: know. sure about the ending from that, that poem by Kabir. And I think the way I hold it, it's it's like he's posing the idea that basically the way we usually try to solve the problem isn't gonna work. Right? And we that's why I'm... Yeah, we try different things. We say, okay, maybe the problem is, you know, I'm too proud, so I'm gonna give rid of that, or I'm too Greedy, sorry, get rid of this, but something else comes. And what's happening is we're not seeing what the the real the very logic or the very way we're approaching trying to solve it is actually part of the problem. And that's why he means by very few find the path, because it's like that having to release the very premise or very way that we're trying
1: to do it. Okay, that makes sense. Maybe it's like a about...
0: Sorry though.
3: Sorry that I sound like that. Um Now that you said that I think of it almost as that constant striving to find an answer. Yeah. It's almost like a narrowing of the path, a narrowing. That's right. And then it's harder to find versus maybe a feeling more of expansion of generosity where maybe the path can be
0: wider. Yes, that's a good way to, to say it, because yeah, when we do think okay this I know how to do it, I have this solution, there is a narrowing down, and like I'm really trying to do to overcome myself in some way, when we talked about that broadening and opening or that generosity, we become much more expansive, we become less contained and yet more connected, and that's I think that's the direction he's pointing
1: toward. Thank you for sharing that. All right, what else is out there? Okay, Adam, come on up.
2: Yeah, I wanted to share something about, um, you kind of talked about going against the grain or doing the opposite. Um, I was in urgent care this weekend, and that's a really good place to observe greed. For for me, that was waiting and waiting and waiting and really wanting to get seen and get out of there. Um, And I noticed myself thinking a few times, like, that person doesn't look like they're in very bad shape. (laughs) They just got admitted. (laughs) They seem to be doing pretty well, all things considered. I wonder what's going on with that. Like, it's my turn now they came here after me what's going on and i did some walking around and kind of calmed down and came back in the room and i started noticing the people that were really visibly anxious and upset mm-hmm. and, or people that had really physical you know issues that were going on and i caught myself thinking like Oh good. I'm glad that person got in Hmm. because they're, they were really, you know, they were really suffering. And, um and just the difference between those two experiences of feeling like, Oh man, I really want to get in. I really want to stop waiting in this room with all Hmm. these coughing people. And, you know, just being all uptight about that versus the experience of feeling like, Oh wow, that person really needed to be seen. And I'm glad that they're you know, getting taken care of yeah. was huge. And, it, you know, thinking about it now, it's like, damn, why did I spend so much time mm-hmm. wrapped around the axle of wanting to get in when it was as simple as just, you know, being happy for the people that did get seen. But it's, I, I don't know what the secret to getting there is. It just happened for a little bit of the time. But that that doing the opposite, if you could get a a handle on that, yeah. it would be a wonderful thing. Yeah. so I appreciate that perspective,
1: yeah,
0: thank you for sharing that, Adam. So like with the last question, very few find a way it's like you know it's our, often our natural tendency isn't really the the most skillful or the most dharmic or that just doesn't feel as good, and part of it as you described it too, I was just re- reflecting at how. The experience of dukkha, the experience of pain, is often a good guidepost. We can almost orient a whole practice to: does this cause more dukkha or less dukkha? Right. So I can compare, and, and probably um, you had a healthy healthy mixture, uh, healthy helping of hatred mixed in with the the greed in that experience. And you know, it's often not a pure thing. We're kind of saying, okay, let's look at greed this month, the next month. Hatred, if you know, if that's where Tori wants to go with it, but we will, you know, it's really all these things arise, and we we'll see how delusion is a big part of that. Delusion is really, we can see how it kind of comes in because we mistake what's going to make us happy for what won't. Like, okay, if there was, if I could just get seen first, if they would just see how deserving I am, then I'll be happy. If I could just get through this. Well, you probably found a deeper happiness by just reflecting on compassion. With wow. I'm glad that person got seen, even though you know I was—I've been waiting longer than them. So that whole—that being sensitive to what causes suffering, what causes that contraction of heart, and what releases that—that's a—that's a beautiful guidepost to to follow, and that's the feedback life is constantly giving us. And it's one of the best feedbacks because, especially if we're really honest to it, we're going to notice that. That's going to be an attitude check or a course correction. If we notice I'm really struggling in this moment, if we're willing to remember Kabir's words, that very few find the path. That means the way I'm I'm trying to interact, I'm lost in the struggle. If I can step back from that, often something a very different direction arises, and you can see how how the heart opens. And it's an alive process. It's not like we can say. Every time that you feel contracted, just be generous. You know, it it can't be as simple as that. It's like there's an alive way that you find your way through it. So thanks for sharing that, Adam. All right, the one, the sound of one hand bowing. He's he's got a a injured wrist, so I was (laughs) he was going like this because that's all he could do. All right,
1: anyone else like to ask anything? How about online? Anyone like to share anything? All right, how about back here in the person? Yes, come on up. Hi, I'm Anne.
3: Um, I was not here last week, where I'm sure it would have all been clear, but I'm having a hard time relating to the word greed, yeah, yeah and um so so I was thinking about the experience my daughter right now has food poisoning, and I want her to be well hmm. so I want that, and so how how does this relate
0: yeah, so yeah last last time, I did talk a bit about how we have to. Kind of navigate through that word greed because we can get too tight around it, and it's and it's not about like not ever wanting anything. It's more about noticing what kind of how conditional you are around it. So like something like with your daughter with food poisoning, there can be this there can be this kind of wholesome, wholehearted way that you want the person to be healthy again, to, to recover from the illness, to not be to not to be sick. And you can also notice, is your happiness completely dependent upon that? Because when it's really conditional, like, I'm only going to be happy if she's healthy, then you can see how there's that clinging. There's that, okay, it has to be this way. But if there's a, a way to be, okay, she's throwing up, she's really sick, and there's a part of me that still is okay with that, is able to be not okay with the fact that she's sick, but there's a way that my own inner peace there's a sense of it. It's still, I'm still at ease in myself, even though she's really, it's not my preference. I'd rather her be healthy, of course, but my, I'm not dependent upon that. That's, that's kind of where that edge comes. And that's, I think, the key with, with pleasure, because we can hear this teaching around greed and say, okay, that means I should never have any pleasure. That's why I kept emphasizing Kabir's poem, because like, okay, I'm going to get rid of this cloth. I'm going to wear burlap, but I'm still doing this. And then, you know, that just, that's using, uh, willpower and aversion or hatred trying to overcome the pattern, but instead just notice, you know, what happens when that changes. Like the three characteristics, what happens when something changes is, is like, oh, I really my happiness is dependent upon the presence of that. You can see the clinging, you know, and then that's that's a very helpful. Or the role of who I am, I'm really dependent upon being who I am, and if that changes, then there's that suffering. And maybe it's the attitude or the, that contraction is where the problem is, not so much the thing changing. You're welcome. Yeah, that's a great question.
1: All right, Carla and Ian. Okay, I don't think you have permission to unmute. Let's give you that. Okay, try it now.
3: Our group was talking about um impatience as a form of sort of low-level greed. I mean, it's just wanting things to be different than they are. And several people shared examples of, you know, obviously we're often impatient in a situation that is not pleasant. We want the unpleasantness to end, or we want to quickly move on to something more pleasant. But I realized that there have been times in my life where I've actually been so impatient that I've missed some of the pleasantness or some of the mm-hmm. things of value. And I shared a story just where this really shows up for me every single day is in the mornings. Um, I like to be very productive in the morning. I work from home. So I have to discipline myself to, you know, get to my home office on time. And if I don't feel like I've been productive, whatever that means before noon, I have this sense of failure. Um, and I also know I mean there's some of it is you know I am most focused in the morning, so there's some value towards you know wanting to start work early, but I definitely have noticed a contraction around that if I'm you know still making breakfast or whatever, and something interrupts my my habit, my morning routine, and I get into the office later than planned i I get uptight about it, I get worried. And it has everything to do with my sense of self. It's really about this idea of I feel like I'm validating myself by being quote unquote productive to the point that I used to, we have pets and you know, they're up in the morning and they want my affection, my attention. And I used to be very impatient even with them. And, um, I love them dearly. And one day you know, I just noticed now I, I'm suffering doubly in a way I'm suffering because maybe I have gotten a little delayed, but I'm also suffering because I'm rejecting the creatures I love or my partner even, and being impatient with them. So I started just sort of opening to that and consciously saying, I'm going to take five minutes to go pet my cat. And I gradually changed that habit. And now my default is just, No matter what I have on my to-do list, no matter what else is happening, what I was in the midst of, I'm going to take at least a moment to be with my pets if they want my affection. And obviously it feels very gratifying and my whole thinking is switched and I'm, you know, giving and receiving love is what could be more important. It's ridiculous to be impatient with that for the sake of doing some task, no matter what it be. And now I notice that if I allow myself that little bit of time, I go to work, be feeling much more happy, much better about my sense of self. It's still about my sense of self, but it's also about a deeper connection with what really matters in life and what's really nourishing. Um so, yeah, the practice has definitely helped me gradually change that habit, and I'm interested to hear if you have other comments on sort of how impatience can be a form of greed.
0: Sure, so you know f- first of all, thank you for sharing that. That's such a you know concrete way of our practice integrating with our lives. And you know, one way we could just frame the whole way that practice works is becoming. This is kind of a theme we've had, like with Adam's question, and some other questions, just becoming more sensitive to the experience of suffering, of dukkha, and being more and more uh, clear about what causes that dukkha versus what's not. Like I, I think I shared, you know, my own version of that, like trying to go on a family vacation and and feeling really uptight about leaving on time whatever that meant. But, you know, we said we're going to leave at 10.30, so we're going to leave at 10, 10.30. And, you know, my daughter and wife not quite being ready and just getting really uptight and starting the vacation to spend time, quality time, with everybody <laughs> upset and, and angry. And what I, I started to notice that and I asked for that feedback. I heard, what is it like for you when I'm doing that? and really taking it in. And that's that sensitivity, that capacity of the heart that grows through practice to be able to really open and hear. Wow, this is this is the experience of dukkha. In my own inner experience that echoes like if your, your animals could tell you. I mean, they, probably t- they tell you, but you know, if you could really hear what their experience was. And then the contrast when you actually change that pattern. And that's that beautiful feedback loop. And with impatience, you know, being a form of greed, again, we, we kind of blur the, la- the lines between greed and, and hatred pretty quickly because I think they're almost two sides of the, the same coin. But for me, impatience in terms of greed often is like that preferencing one thing over another. Okay, like getting to work on time or getting this thing done first. And the impatience when this, something gets in the way of that versus that thing being life itself. You know, that's that's how, you know, what comes to mind right now is how greed shows up in that. Like, I'm really focused on something else, and I'm kind of discounting or um, minimizing or pushing away or even harming whatever gets in the way of that. And that impatience, when we're really open to the, the experience of that, you know, it becomes really clear, like, well, why would I do this to myself? And yet we, we do it all the time and again practice allows us to become more and more sensitive and open to that and that very contact that starts to transform us it just starts to fall away yeah does that help carla
3: yeah it does and i love how you said you know opening to life itself because that's really what it is i life is presenting me with an opportunity for connection. It's just not according to the schedule I had in mind and, of course, that's right. that's the nature of life.
1: <laughs>
0: that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, there's so much um, oppres- oppression we give ourselves and other people when we think life should be this certain way. And, you know, the two ends of our lives, when we're born and when we die, there's a way that that just has its own timing. And we, we hopefully can learn that on the way before uh, before those times, so we can meet those those transitions with with ease and grace. All right, thanks, Carla. Anyone else like to ask or share anything online or in person? Yes,
1: coming up, Gene.
4: Uh, Tim, I have to confess that I'm not having very much fun with green. As a matter of fact, I so dislike the vision of some of what I see mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about going on a walkabout for July, August, and September. I'll come back in October when things are sweet and nice and smooth.
1: Um,
4: I don't like to think about those greedy parts of me, and really? we haven't even gotten to hate and delusion. So I can't imagine what the future holds.
1: <laughs>
4: but I do want to say that um, recently, I'm thinking now in the last year or two, I've come across this idea of uh, spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that that's in play for me when I don't want to see that dark, mucky side of myself, um, that I can look over the rainbow and see something Mm. better ahead or different. So I don't know whether to thank you or not for these three (laughs) poisons. I mean, they're there. But did we have to face it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Gene, for that. Yeah, honest sharing. I'm sure you're not alone in that, you know, in that that experience. And I think, you know, again, kind of this, this theme that's kind of emerging tonight around the questions is notice where the suffering is. Okay, so the suffering, of course, there's the suffering of that pattern. But there's also the secondary suffering of the what it means about you, that you have this pattern. Right? That's that's that hidden suffering, that less obvious suffering that this means something about me, that something's wrong with me because I have this, this aspect of greed in me. Right. So that's the part that that's what you know Kabir says very few find the path because usually we're just kind of like hamsters running around in the site in the circle. All right, so let's see if we can... When, as soon as you notice, it, it's like, that's the time to say, okay, I'm going to kind of drop everything. It's almost like we're taking, we're driving, and we realize we're lost. I don't say, don't do this when you're actually driving, but just take your hands off the steering wheel, take your foot off the brake. Again, this is not a driving instructions, but a metaphor. And just kind of let the momentum of the car do its thing. The metaphorical car. <laughs> I got an accident after the talk. Okay. <laughs> but when when you do that, then you can say, okay, what okay, any way I turn, any of my normal patterns are going to be reinforcing the very pattern. Like my analogy of I make a hole in the wall with a hammer, and I'm going to try to fix the hole by using the hammer some more. It doesn't work very well. I just make a bigger hole. Right? So I drop the hammer, I drop any tool, and what starts to emerge is a very different capacity of meeting this. And you meet it gently. You meet just a little bit of it. That's the, that's the kind of the, if you meet it in a way that if you open too much to it, it becomes overwhelming. He says, "I can't. This, this belief about myself it just sweeps me off my feet." So make it very bite-sized, very small. You just notice a little bit of greed. Notice the greed around wanting the bell to ring or something, something very benign. Right? And just see if you can learn about that. Forget about the big greeds, and just notice the little greed. See if you can open to it, and see it from a place, go from a place of compassion toward it, kindness. Because often greed is trying to alleviate something that's lacking in us, some suffering. If you turn toward the lack and the pain of that, with gentleness, with kindness, then it actually you feel, well, this actually is loosening this whole
1: burden instead of adding to it. Thank you, Gene. All right, anyone else like to ask or share anything? All right, going once, going twice. Yeah, that that last line. Very few find
0: the path. Just pointing toward our normal way of doing. I see that Bob. We'll get you into it in a second, but just that. Um, it's a different. Calls forth a different capacity, a different way of meeting ourselves. Okay, go ahead, Bob.
1: Hey Tim, I, um, uh, I wanted to thank you for your talk last week. And w- one of the things that
0: you said last week that struck me and stuck with me was, um, you said something about it's not so much about defeating greed with willpower, um, but with slowing down and seeing it clearly. And, uh, I think when I'm in situations where I'm
2: slightly aware of my greediness that i'm i i I often react with that willpower thing i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do this again um i'm gonna i won't be this way and i liked i thought it was helpful to think to to move beyond that and to think about
1: the clear seeing uh, that i i appreciated that thank you you're very welcome
0: you know, willpower. I think it's a it's a go-to for many of us, you know, including myself. And we also see that while well, that only only takes us so far, while well, that that clear seeing, that direct seeing, that has this way of of transforming it that that willpower can't touch. It's like it something drops away, it lets go of us instead of us. You know, we think of let go as often kind of forcefully throwing something away, versus when it lets go of us, it just it just releases. And the paradox is this opening to it in a way without any, any agenda of it changing,
1: without trying to fix it or modify it, but just fully know it, fully open to it.